friends, and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the publisher and CEO at CUinsight.com. It's my job on this show to have conversations with all of the thought leaders who support the credit union community. There are so many of them, and together we get to identify some of those issues that affect credit unions and have a discussion on all of the best practices that exist so that we can all learn from one another and improve our credit unions. Our guest on today's show is Jack Lynch, the Chief Risk Officer at PSCU. And if that wasn't enough, he's also the president at Triverity. I'm so excited to have Jack on the show today. So I want to jump right into the conversation. Jack, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's great to be here, Lauren. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'd like to start with a little bit of background on you. Most of us didn't really grow up thinking that someday we would get to work with credit unions. And uh, it's a happy industry now that we found ourselves here. But I'm curious, what did you want to be growing up? Wait, you mean you didn't think at 10 years old you wanted to be in credit unions? Right. <laughs> well, either did I. Uh, it, it's so funny when you think back. You know, I, wa- I was all over the place. I wanted to play oboe in the orchestra, play keyboards in a band. I was really into computer and technology, different things like that. And fortunately, I was lucky to do like three out of four. But alas, I never played oboe at Carnegie Hall. So that, oh, no. that will probably go unfulfilled. However, I am in credit unions. And I do remember at an early age, because my dad was a member of credit unions at all the various Air Force bases we were stationed at, and he was a big advocate. And I actually still have my first account that my dad opened for me when I was a little kid. And so maybe it is destiny I ended up here. (laughs) That is so funny. I have to tell you, I played the oboe in sixth grade. I have never come across anyone who played the oboe. It wasn't my favorite. Double reads were a little challenging, but... That's too funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, that's the same here when I said, I said that because I started sixth grade uh, oh, as well. In wow. The, uh, band, well, so. we'll, have to, we'll have to break out the instruments sometime. <laughs> wow, no kidding. <laughs> so you have, you're not at Carnegie Hall, but I would argue you're in a pretty cool industry nonetheless. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration to step into the role of Chief Risk Officer at PSCU and as the president at Triverity. It was so exciting to have the opportunity, and it really brought together all my experience working in technology when I first got into the industry and also my leadership and various business functions to actually bring that all together, and it's really been an amazing journey. And so when we started off being able to create a vision of how we looked at fraud and how we were going to apply the latest tech to help our credit unions in that never-ending fight, and it really was exciting because I was blessed with such an incredible team that helped us really become an industry leader in risk. So all those things together to enable that, apply all those skills to that, it's truly been a a great opportunity. And then after the acquisition that we had to be able to head up Triverity, which is our PSU company, and offering delinquency management solutions, and also bringing technology into that with some digital uh, solutions that are coming up and really being a, a major player in the credit union industry now, I think there's a great future for us and really excited to be a part of it. That is wonderful. I think there's so many different credit unions that I know work with PSU and have really benefited from from all of the things that you offer. So I'm curious for those folks who don't, which is probably few and far between, but for those folks who don't know what PSU does or what you do, what is your elevator pitch and what PSU is and where you add value to credit unions? Well, so first of all, I hope sometime in 2022, Lauren, that we actually are on an elevator together. Okay. (laughs) But if we are on that... (laughs) If we're on that elevator, I will tell you PSU is the nation's premier credit union organization, or CUSO, as many people talk about, a cooperative. We serve thousands of credit unions throughout the United States, and we've been around for over 40 years. 
And over the years, we've actually evolved from being a payments processor to an end-to-end financial technology provider. And now what's really cool is we're offering a full range of products, solutions, and services. And that includes the risk management, data analytics, digital banking, and contact center services. And then if I have you trapped for another 15 seconds, Lauren, I'll also tell you we're processing billions of payment transactions annually, and we focus on helping financial institutions digitally transform and serve the evolving needs of their members. Wow. There is so much to unpack there. I'm impressed you got it all in on one elevator ride. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many things that we could talk about, all of the different things that PSU does, and it's really cool to see the ways that you'll have grown the company over the years. I want to talk specifically with you today about the significant fraud challenges that credit unions and their members are faced with. And I know fraud has always been a concern, but for today's sort of constantly evolving digital world, it's it's even more prevalent than it's ever been and increasingly complex. So can you talk a little bit about that specifically to start with and and the critical role that credit unions play there to help protect their members? Well, Lauren, you're absolutely right. The battle against fraud in this evolving digital world is never ending. And the covid 19 pandemic has been the great accelerator for digital transactions. I think we all realized that the industry would be watched what happened. And with that uptick on online traffic, the virtual world became just a breeding ground for fraudsters. And these shifts have greatly impacted fraud and fraudsters continue to innovate and find new ways to attack. And they're using multiple channels and sophisticated fraud schemes. And so as union members are evolving and embracing that technology, they're increasing their digital interactions We're going to need strong fraud management, and it's going to be more important than ever to make sure that that's a part of whatever we're doing. And I think what really comes to play is consumer awareness of associated risk with transacting more online has increased throughout this pandemic, and that's really leading to more and more concern about data by the members. And they see it in the news, and they get concerned, and they really want to look at that as we move forward. So in addition to providing those innovative products that meet members' needs, in this digital world we have, the credit unions absolutely have to consider investing in security and fraud innovation. And I really do think as we look ahead, that's going to be key, really key to retaining members and preventing them from seeking products and services from secondary FIs. And the competition is out there and we have to be prepared for it. You make so many great points. And I even think from the consumer perspective, I've heard a lot of folks talking, you know, my data was already in this breach and that breach and the other breach. So what does it even matter anymore? (laughs) It's so interesting. Exactly right. And the thing around that, when you think about even if it's been in a breach, it doesn't necessarily it's been used. We still see information popping up. And even if part of it was used, another piece of information comes up with another breach and they're able to piece those things together. And that's why it's more important than ever to take a look at your fraud tools because maybe they only had your name or your social security number and now they're getting other pieces of information through these breaches. Right, right. Yeah, I wonder if there's some level of like fatigue from the consumers around fraud after there's been so much so much going on. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and I think it, they've really become fatigued, yet also wanting to make sure that they're protected, right? right. They, they don't want their funds. They don't want different things to, to disappear on them. So I, I really think it's important for us to continue to, to talk about this w- with our members. Right. And I think education is important as well. Education is critical. And that's one of the major roles that credit unions can really play for their communities. And so I'm curious, you know, as credit unions really seek to stay on the forefront of protecting their members here, of educating their members, like, we, like we've said, 
What's your suggestion on the best approach for a credit union? Do you see the successful credit unions keeping any of that fraud prevention in-house or do more of them partner with folks like a PSCU to stay successful? And I'll actually tag onto that. Does that change at different asset sizes? Great question, because it is really a challenge. When we talked about the digital tools and solutions and the investments we have to make and the other investments going on, you realize that that has to be part of what you look at going forward. And unfortunately, the tools in place now, those common security tools where you're detecting fraud based on activity logs, you're looking at your call center channel, you're looking at your card channel, really, they're not going to work as they used to work in the past. We've got a whole new game with the multi-channel fraud going on. So really being proactive is going to require a lens that really can see across multiple channels, authentication through authorization. And I really say that it doesn't really matter asset size. We're seeing many of our credit unions of all sizes are leveraging third-party resources such as QSOs more and more because they really see it as, as beneficial to accelerating that time to market for launching new innovations and helping them replace some of the outdated solutions they have in a cost-effective manner. I think a good example of that is so many of them now uh, leveraging our AI investment in linked analysis and our ability to monitor holistically across multiple channels, across the entire cooperative, right. and not only the data across PSU clients, but also bringing in all that consortium data and dark web monitoring across multiple industries. I think if they were doing that on their own, that's investment money taken away from other areas that they want to invest in. And being a partner, we can help fill those gaps. Right. Well, thanks for that insight. It's it's so interesting too, when we think about the multiple channels that, that anyone could be at risk from and, and the need to authenticate. Sometimes I think that there's the perception that that might go kind of against the grain of a smooth, seamless user experience too. So I think to your point, having someone who really has the the tools and the data and the technology in place could be really critical there. Absolutely. Funny story I have to share with you too. I had started out my career in credit unions. I was a I was a teller, fresh to the credit union world. I was still in college, and I knew everyone at the credit union. It was a small organization, a really wonderful credit union in Juneau, Alaska, but about fifty or sixty employees. And I went on a trip once and got a phone call from a fraud prevention team. And they're like, I'm such and such. And I work at blah, 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 credit union. And I was like, no, you don't. I know everyone at the credit union. <laughs> Come to find out. <laughs> they had obviously engaged an organization like PSU to do some of that fraud prevention. But it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about that story of calling you and, and one of the things in, in terms of when you look at the phone channel and some of the technology we're using and actually, I serve on the board of one of that. And when we look at uh, some of the things around phone and how now they can replicate people's voices so somebody can actually call you wow. and it sounds like you. And I would think I was talking to Lauren because they actually are starting to be able to replicate the voice. So it is amazing how far this digital technology is moving to in the future, which means more and more we're going to have to have more sophisticated tools to parse that out because no, long, no longer can we just say, oh, I recognize your voice. You're right. somebody I know. That's not going to be the case anymore. That is so interesting, especially for those small credit unions who are used to having that one-on-one relationship with their members where you know they don't even ask for verification because they know who Sally down the road is. That's right. Well, we've seen, to your point, so many changes in the fraud landscape over the last couple of years. As fraudsters become more sophisticated, there are all these new technologies out there that we're seeing a lot of attacks from different channels. What do you think are the the challenges that you see in the credit union industry in terms of being equipped and prepared to stay ahead of this sort of ever-changing fraud landscape? 
Yeah, great question. I, I agree. New and more creative means of committing fraud are emerging daily. And that means the tools are going to have to change and evolve accordingly. You can't put something in place and be done, like, say, strategies on cards. Okay, I have that set up, and that looks pretty good, and, and it seems like it's stopping fraud. Next thing you know, the whole game has changed. Because I think in some cases, the fraudsters are now entering through the front door. You know, we think sometimes about uh, fraud of somebody that's dressed in a hoodie in their basement with like 10 screens and they're trying to penetrate the, the IT systems of the credit union. And in reality, they're just sitting there having that conversation with their member support group or they're just coming in through their electronic channel now, the, literally the digital front door, and they're pretending to be legitimate members. And so as they get smarter, we have to have tools that actually detect and prevent these activities that get smarter as well. Because there's no way a one person or a series of people can actually pull all that data together and figure out what's going on. And I think that goes back to that challenge of outdated systems. And that can make the credit unions extremely vulnerable and putting them at risk, whether it's cyber attacks or these in the front door type of things. So I really think one of the things they really have to focus on across all their channels is they have to innovate their operational systems. They have to make sure they're making themselves secure from uh, hackers that also know how to navigate security gaps. And we've seen that whether it's not keeping your ATMs up to you know, the right revision level and they figure out a way how to penetrate that from the ATM all the way to how they're trying to manipulate phone and take phone takeover and those type of things. They're in every single channel rotating around. So I think while leveraging technology is critical and we just spoke about that, there has to be a holistic approach because you can have all the technology in the world. You can spend millions of dollars but if you don't have the right people in the right place, have the processes in place, I always call it the three-legged stool. It only takes one where if you let somebody in, a phishing attack, or somebody to come in and get that information, you have outdone all your technology. So all three of those things, the credit unions are going to have to look at and address those challenges in the times we have ahead. That's such an important point. I think sometimes as credit unions, we think, okay, the innovation is important, but that, you know, we're going to focus instead on, on all the things that we need today, when really that is, to your point, going to be critical to, to not being at risk from some of the, the new fraud technologies and, and attacks that are coming out. And I know one thing that you stress even is how sort of a multi-layered integrated approach to fight fraud can ensure both the right balance of risk tolerance for the credit union, but also that seamless experience that members expect. I remember when I was setting up in an Apple wallet for the very first time, my, my credit union card in the wallet, and then I had an Amex. Don't tell anyone in the, the credit union <laughs> had an Amex. But <laughs> I was setting them both up and it took probably two or three hours to go through all the credit union security checks to get in there where Amex just was a couple, like I got a text message and I was in. So the seamless experience, I think for the credit union, there was, there was some room to develop it there, but we know that that's critical to be a seamless, easy to use financial institution. I'm curious about your thoughts on how credit unions can sort of best achieve this approach. Well, that, that is such a, a great thing that you walk through that ex experience uh, because it's so true. Because I think what happens sometimes at credit unions is you've got different opinions on how to approach risk and risk tolerance. And so when I look at that, the first thing is you absolutely have to have a unified strategy at the executive level at the credit union and determine what your tolerance is. And everybody on the team, your operations, your product, your lending, everybody has to be aligned on that balance between member experience or risk management 
Because otherwise, what you have is you want to bring this compelling product out to market. You want to compete against one of the major financial institutions that spends a multitude of dollars on all the spending out there, right? In the meantime, you put this compelling product together, and over on the other side of the house, they go, no, you have to reduce fraud no matter what, even if your basis points is already well below industry average. Right. So operations feels compelled to go, oh, no, there might be some risk in that, so I'm just going to stop that transaction, or I'm going to make it as difficult as possible for you to secure that card. Well, you're already now moving into giving a competitive advantage to others. And that's a clear indication of that. And it's so hard to get people back when you do that. So I really think you have to be aligned on the whole strategy going forward. So that's one piece of it. Second, when I talk about that multi-layer approach, I think sometimes we think it's great. Oh, we're going to offer this card, right? But we don't think of all the channels and what is protecting all those channels where that um, interaction is going to have uh, with your members coming in, because it's not just the digital. Okay, you're having problems loading that, you, you know, your card on your Apple device. Who are you going to call first if you're you're getting turned down? You're, you're going to call in. So are we prepared to answer those questions? Are we prepared to help them through the process? Right. Or also, what you probably remember back then is about 30 seconds after we started the um, provisioning process, the fraudsters figured out how to spoof people and come and provision the cards before the, me- the members did. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> so, ay, ay, ay. so if you didn't have a fraud strategy to get your, yourself prepared, so when those calls came into your center, and we already want to help our members, but if we didn't have some technology behind us to go, oh, wait a minute, this call coming in, the phone number uh, is a little bit suspicious. The The way they're answering the questions are suspicious. Um, we're already, you know, behind the eight ball before we even start, right? So I really do think it's important after that strategy is to work with their partners um, and assist in executing the strategy. Because I think um, the partners and PSU is one of those can really help accelerate implementing that strategy with that, as well as looking at what we talked about before those fraud strategies behind it. Absolutely. Well, and I think what I'm hearing is that there's the risk from fraud, but there's also the risk of losing our members if we're not a seamless enough experience. And so I think there's the balance there that those partners like a PSU can really help credit unions kind of hone in on the right strategy for. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and when everybody comes together and goes, hey, in, in this particular product or this solution, this is where the industry is. That has to be part of the business plan moving forward, not having one section of the credit union thinking that they need to do something, right? Because you could be complete within the tolerance of the plan. And I think sometimes I see that. Uh, and in some cases, since I do have cards from various financial institutions, credit unions, and others, of course, for research only, Lauren, right? Like we talked yep. earlier. <laughs> you notice uh, that uh, one just absolutely doesn't want anything to go through eBay mm. at all, right? We're another one right through. So you can tell there's actually differences in how we're, we're treating particular merchants and also what strategies we have to approach that. I really think we have to come together on that. That is so true. Well, from your perspective, you know, you are the chief risk officer at PSU, president of Triverity. I'm curious, PSU Triverity is such an innovative organization working with a lot of credit unions. From your perspective as a leader in the industry, what are the overall trends that you're seeing for the sort of the future of financial services as it relates to fraud, but even overall? And where's PSU's focus when it comes to innovating to meet these challenges and really stay relevant? Yeah, I think 
Over the next few years, PSU, we're going to continue to leverage investments we've made and we're continuing to make with the right mix of solutions and services to help our credit unions grow. And we also want them to deliver an unparalleled member experience. I am so happy and proud that our board has really supported our company in this endeavor. And we've talked already about the digital future, and we don't see that slowing down at all. And as part of our accelerated digital first strategy, there's many areas we have to continue to focus on and we're investing in. For example, contactless cards. We're already seeing that exceed 70% of our card orders today. Credit unions are starting to see that and they recognize the need in the industry for that and what their members want. And in addition to that, data science and analytics. You hear a lot about it, but it is really a critical differentiator. Our hosted end-to-end data science and analytics portfolio, it really does analyze our credit union's collective data, and then it actually brings a holistic view of the member's data, as well as we'll talk about this over and over again about how we can use that data in fraud as well. And then also digital issuance. I think we really are moving more uh, toward that, creating that seamless interrupted payments, uninterrupted payments experience. And we want to enable those cardholders to continue transacting digitally, you know, push provisioning to the wallets, et cetera. And then I wrap all that together and especially around analytics and go back to fraud mitigation. We have made significant investments across all areas. And I just have to talk about the holistic approach, our proprietary linked analysis. And it's really at the heart of what we're looking at to where we utilize AI, bringing all those channels together, whether it's the phone, what we're seeing in terms of the analytics coming in um, on the phone channel, in our electronic channels. And we're actually able to spot trends, regardless of channel, regardless of region, or where the credit unions are. So there may not even be fraud yet in Alaska, for example, right? But we see it coming. We see these trends coming, and we can apply strategies and help our credit unions grow in those areas. And it's really helped us stop really all this combination of tools over 500 million in potential fraud uh, for account holders. And that even includes rewards and all those other channels as well that we're scanning. So I really think we need to have more innovative tools and they have to be in production. And I'm really excited about what we've got rolling out this year, including new fraud alert capabilities. So we're super excited about that. So I think that is going to be the future and everybody's going to have to look at investing in this. Oh, well, thank you for your insights. It's so it's so interesting to be able to talk to all of the thought leaders who support credit unions. And from so many angles, we're hearing, to your point, you know, data science, data analytics, technology, really investing. And I think what I'm hearing over and over, too, is that credit unions can't do it all alone. And there are so many incredible partners like a PSU out there that can really support and enable the success of our industry for the long term. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, and back to the other, you know, just doing a shotgun approach where, oh my goodness, there's uh, fraud in the phone channel. Quick, go grab something and put it in, right? Oh right. my goodness, there's something over on the card channel. Yep. We have to do something there. That's where I really think that strategy around that holistic approach and also that layered approach, because you may have, for example, coming in and identify fraudsters and it's totally passive. They don't even know that you figured out that it's a fraudster. And then you map that out and you go, wait a minute, that fraudster's in another credit union across the country. And I can actually stop them doing something in the IVR before they even do their first testing or fraud at another credit union. So together, I think bringing all of us together in this cooperative really makes a difference and helps us in this never-ending battle. 
Wow. Well, I could talk to you about this forever. You're a wealth of knowledge. You have so much to to bring to the table here for credit union leaders. I wish we had more time, but as we start to wrap up the show here, we also like to have some fun with rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Fingers crossed, maybe somebody will run into you at a conference in person and they'll know a fun fact about you already. So, (laughs) Oh, I'm in trouble now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we like to say the questions are rapid from my side. Your answers don't have to be, though. If you're ready, we will just dive right in. Okay, I'm bracing myself. Let's go. (laughs) What is a recent purchase you didn't know you needed that has become something you can't live without? Oh my, we're going to almost go back to the first question here. This is something I wanted, but I thought I didn't need because I already had two of them. But it wasn't me that bought it, but Santa, and uh-huh. I've got that in quotes, bought it for me. It was a Fender American Stratocaster guitar. Wow. And now it's something I can't live without all these years. And I play it all the time and I love it. That's so convenient when Santa bought it for you. It wasn't yeah, isn't that weird? He, he, <laughs> Well, we say he sees you when you're sleeping, right? <laughs> right, right. He spent that North Pole money. It wasn't your, <laughs> wasn't <Yeah>. your money. <laughs> All right. When you hear the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind and why? Wow. It, uh, that pops into my mind always as a uh, leadership. And it's George Washington, the first president of this country. And I wow. really say that because he's a unique leader in all recorded human history And we always talk about, oh, he founded the country, but I always, as a student of history and read about it, think about the number of people that rose to leadership roles, successful leaders in armies against more powerful forces, and then became leader of their country. Yet name, for me, one of those leaders who became president of a system of government that didn't exist anywhere in the world at the time, uh, based on elections by the people, took that idea, changed from a military leader to a leader that submitted to a constitution, who said he would not be king when they asked him to be one. And then where do we ever see this and walked away from power after two terms? To me, this was a unique individual that not only possessed leadership, he was successful against all odds, and he didn't allow his ego to overcome his principles, enable the United States to become the successful country that it, it was and remain a democratic republic. I think that deserves, you know, just as a person, that that's always amazing to me when I think about all the other leaders in the world. <laughs> I think about right? right, they become you know dictators for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about thinking differently or a, sort of a growth mindset where you're you're not just stuck in the old ways of doing things or the things that you've only seen happen before. Yeah, wonderful. All right, a random question for you: What are you listening to online right now? Uh oh. Okay, there is some amazing music out there, and I'll tell you. Sometimes I get annoyed at the music algorithms that they have because they're always <laughs> trying to figure out what I want to listen to next. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going, oh, you're not going to catch me because I'm moving from alternative rock to classical music, jazz, EDM, electronic music. And if I had to choose right now, I'm really into Meg Myers, and there's a band called Churches out of Scotland. And I started going to some concerts when they first came to the United States, and they've just gotten really big. And I'm I'm really excited to see some of the new bands break out. And for all of you, and maybe this is you, Lauren, if you like classical oboe music, and uh-huh. who doesn't, right? Right, <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> Celine uh, Monnier. Uh, she's from France. She's a fantastic oboe player. And so I listen to her stuff a lot as well as some of the other players. So I still enjoy listening to oboe music. And then finally, I still have on the rotation some of the bands I really love, Depeche Mode and The Cure. And so those bands are also on my rotation list. 
That is amazing. I, I think you may be the first podcast guest we've had in, in history of CO Insight Podcast to say oboe music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if anybody wants to go out and type oboe and find out what it is, you, I have to point that out because people think, you know, oh, is, what kind of clarinet is that in the back right. of the orchestra? No, it's not clarinet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that double read is so unique. (laughs) All right. Any books that you have gifted or you think just everyone should read? Wow. Okay. There's so many great books out there. But, Lauren, I'm going to have to say there's one series to rule them all, Lord of the Rings. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Do you watch the movies too or just the books? Yes. No, I've, I've watched the movies and I've tried very hard not to be, you know, that guy in the room that goes, that's not in the book, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, but I will yep. say Peter Jackson did a great job compared to some movies out there, you know, where they completely destroy the concept that was in the, you know, the, in the books themselves. So right. yes, I have the extended version as well. Of that, okay. You know? That would be a long movie marathon weekend. <laughs> by the way, Lauren, we, we actually did that at my house one time. Did you? It, yes, it was ridiculous. Uh, uh, so my wife went to work and came home. It was like one of those days off. And we were just laying around from 8 o'clock in the morning. It was literally 10 at night. And we had just been in the room all day. It was ridiculous. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, my gosh. Well, I love that. All right. Let's say the calendar is empty. Besides your Lord of the Rings movie marathon, what do you do to unwind outside of work? <laughs> well, this is going to come a shock to you, Lauren. I love listening to and playing music in my home studio. Absolutely. Um, it's really a, a passion of mine. I also like being out of the water uh, here in Florida. I enjoy reading all sorts of different, both nonfiction and fiction. And then hopefully, hopefully soon getting back to traveling to different places around the world. I've been a bit reticent about going someplace <laughs> fearful because I had a friend, she actually decided, oh, I'm going to go to C- Cancun and get away. Things seem to get better and was trapped at the airport and ended up mm-hmm. in a hotel at the Mexican government choosing, I might add, okay. uh, for a quarantine period. So I've decided I'm going to you know, hold back on this traveling business just a little while longer. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Well, we are going to link to everything we talked about today in the show notes, Jack. My last question for you is any final thoughts that you'd like to share or final asks that you have of our listeners? Well, first of all, I really enjoyed our conversation today, Lauren. And, Me and, too. And I really want to say to everyone, just remain positive and hopeful as we move into the future. I know that's kind of crazy coming from a fraud person. But sometimes <laughs> we're inundated with nothing but negative news. However, each day there are people working to make a difference in so many different ways um, around the country. And that really includes everyone in our industry that's thinking about and working hard to meet the needs of their members and also address difficult problems such as financial crimes in this new digital world. So I want to thank everybody on the front lines out there in, at the credit unions for uh, being in this battle against fraud because we're all in this together. Well, thank you again, Jack, for sharing all of your insights with us today, for making the time to be on the show. Hopefully we do get to run into each other at a conference in person soon and we can catch up even more on the latest in fraud prevention. But until then, I hope you stay well. Thanks to all of our listeners today for tuning in to the CU Insight Network podcast. We will see you again next time.